and Felix Ego, written by In My Own Little Corner on fanfictalk.com, narrated by Pride of Pruitt, rated for mature audiences, advisories include slurs. Chapter 2. Who Will Have Pity on Me? Neville wished that, just once, his grandmother would leave the vulture-trimmed hat at home when they went to St. Mungo's. He was well aware that the confection had been considered quite smashing half a century earlier when his grandmother had caught his grandfather's eye, probably by catching said eye rather literally, with an errant avian wing. But now it was sadly out of date, intending towards the shabby side. Gran, however, was not to be moved. She insisted that this was her best hat, and she would wear her best hat when she went out, so help her God. Neville had never cared for the infamous chapeau. It liked to sneer at him. And after seeing the boggart Snape dressed in Gran's clothing, well, it was very difficult for Neville to keep from laughing when he saw her styled thus. He was not sure if his laughter was more likely to hurt her feelings or to raise her wrath, and he had no desire to find out. The Janus Thickey ward was quiet on Sunday morning when they arrived to visit Alice and Frank Longbottom. It was always quiet, that is, unless someone was screaming. The bright lighting and the hushed tones made Neville's skin crawl, and his eyes dropped to the floor where he busied his mind by attempting to avoid stepping on the cracks between the tiles. He'd done this ever since he could remember, and as his feet grew along with the rest of him, he found it harder and harder to complete the task successfully. "'Good morning, Mrs. Longbottom. Good morning, Neville,' chirped healer Nemocene Vale. She was a small slip of a woman, ever patient and ever cheerful. If Neville couldn't have his parents at home with him, he was glad to know that they were in this good woman's care." "'Good morning, Healer Vale,' Gran replied, puffing up and taking charge of the room as always. "'How are dear Frank and Alice today?' "'Very well. They ate all their breakfasts and took their walk. Alice even pointed out a little bluebird on the fountain. I'm sure they'll be delighted to see you.' A weight settled in Neville's chest as he and Gran fell in behind the healer. Even though the lighting was magic-made, there was something frightening about its enhanced brightness. The entirety of St. Mungo's was somewhere between a muggle horror film and a macabre scientist lair. The floors and walls were too clean, and they made your shoes squeak ominously no matter how quietly you tried to walk on them. All the reminders charmed to the walls. Wash your hands. Mind your wand. Is that the right potion? Made his stomach churn with dread. What if someone gave his parents the wrong potion? What if they tried the wrong charm? What if one day he and his grandmother came to visit and his parents had disappeared completely? He hated to admit this, even to himself, but there was a part of him that wished that one day he would come to visit and his parents would be gone. When he'd been younger, he used to hope that this would be the time when his parents would be better. This would be the time that they would recognize him and hug him and call him son. But after so many disappointments, this darker wish had begun to lurk amidst his hopeful dreams, and he dreaded the day that it would swallow him whole. He almost preferred the times that they fought him. Sometimes when he and Gran came to visit, his parents would be agitated, yelling and spitting and swearing. It was those times that Neville thought he actually saw a little of what they used to be like. And even though his grand would usher him away as quickly as possible when his parents were in those hostile moods, he would wish to stay, to see the flash of fire that had made them the feared and respected oars everyone said they had been. Anything was better than witnessing them as they usually were, lost, confused children in adult bodies, asking him over and over again which way the wind was blowing, and if the moon was up yet, even in the middle of the day. "'Ah, here we are. Hello, Alice. Hello, Frank.' You've some visitors, Healer Vale said when they reached the beds nearest the windows at the back of the long room. Augusta and Neville are here to see you. Frank, you're looking fine today, Gran said in a false bright tone that Neville hated. Alice, how well you look. Frank, come sit with me. I want to tell you all the news. New shoes, Frank said in a little sing-song as he allowed his mother to lead him away to a pair of cozy chairs by the window. 
Soon Gran was involved in an unending stream of chatter that Frank interrupted periodically with more nonsense rhymes. Neville didn't understand how his grandmother could stand to hear them. It made him want to scream and throw things. Hello, Mum, he said dully as he turned to his mother. Alice was wearing hospital-issued robes several sizes too large for her, which gave her the look of a child playing a sorry game of dress-up. Her dark hair was cropped close to her head because she tended to pull out handfuls of it when she was upset if the healers let it grow any longer. She held a wad of crumpled parchment clutched in her fist, and her cornflower blue eyes were unnervingly bright today, as though she'd been crying. She said nothing when he addressed her, but then she almost never talked. She did join him when he sat down on her bed. They never sat in chairs together. In fact, Alice refused to sit in a chair at all. He'd overheard his grandmother say that when Alice was first recovering, the mere sight of a chair would send her into hysterics for hours. He'd never asked what exactly had happened to cause this fear of chairs, and he wasn't sure if it was better or worse that he didn't know. His imagination had run rampant, exploring all sorts of dark corners as he pictured what Bellatrix Lestrange had done to his parents. Sometimes he thought that what he dreamed up was surely worse than anything she had actually done, but sometimes he would hear snatches of stories that his grandmother and her friends shared late in the evenings when they thought he was in bed, and he would change his mind. Bellatrix Lestrange was surely one of the most evil creatures ever to walk the earth, and the tales of her depravity gave him nightmares. Honestly, he'd been almost glad that Professor Snape was his boggart when they'd studied in DADA class the year before. If the Lestrange demon had been the one to walk out of the cabinet, he knew no number of vulture hats would possibly help him laugh at her. She was a beast, and he shoved her down to the back of his mind as best he could. "'Did you have a nice breakfast, Mum? he asked, watching his mother with a nauseating mixture of longing despair, anger, and disappointment that never failed to make him feel guilty, no matter how many times he experienced it. She ignored his words, or seemed to. She dropped her crumpled parchment, and she was walking her fingers across the quilted blanket, following the patterns on it. It was a handsome thing, made by Gran and her friends during their sewing circle gossips. Each square depicted a nature scene, flowers and animals, mountains and forest paths, all swaying gently in a quiet breeze. Alice liked to walk her fingers across it as though they were going on an adventure, and Neville often wondered where she was going in her mind as her fingers traveled over the fabric. We had bagels and tea this morning before we came down, but we're going to stop into Diagon Alley for lunch before we leave. His mother started hopping her fingers from rock to rock, and her lips parted slightly, allowing a bit of spittle to roll over her chin. Neville took out his pocket handkerchief. He never forgot his handkerchief when they came to visit her, and gently wiped his mother's mouth. She jerked her head away and glared at him for a moment, but soon her irritation passed, and she went back to hopping her fingers through the fabric meadows. They were silent for a while, and Neville had to make a point of shutting out Gran's paddling. He loved his grandmother, of course, but when she came here, her voice was too loud, her words too fast, and they made his stomach churn to hear them. He also hated trying to hold up a one-sided conversation with his mother, but he kept talking so he wouldn't have to listen to Gran's voice. It's going to be pretty hot today, so maybe Gran will let us have ice cream even though she usually doesn't let me have any sugar. Something about this upset his mother, and she started crying, soft hiccupy sobs that began without warning. Oh, don't cry, Mom. It's all right. I'll talk about something else. Um... He wiped her eyes and her nose with his handkerchief again, and this time she didn't protest. Let me think. I'm really enjoying being in the frog choir, and I think I'm going to keep doing it next year. Gren wasn't terribly happy about it, but my grades were good this year, and so she said it was all right if I kept on with it. We sang something really beautiful back after Easter. It was tricky. It was something in Latin by a muggle composer named Reinberger, I think. I really liked how the music sounded like you were climbing up a mountain. 
His mother stopped sniffling, and when he wiped her eyes a final time, she smiled at him briefly before going back to her quilt walking. Whenever she made eye contact with him like that, he was so tempted to believe that she was still in there somewhere, and that someday they would get her back. Maybe if someone could go in and help her, like a knight on a quest. But he knew that this was useless hoping. How many times had he heard his grand talk to the healers about his parents' case, and how many times had they said that it was basically hopeless? I even did well in potions, Mum, he said, scrambling back to the safety of mindless chatter. But he thought he saw his mother glance at him shyly out of the corner of her eye, and so he kept with the subject. There was a ghost named Mari who helped me. She was so very nice, and she even got Peeves to help Professor Snape from making me too nervous during my test. Here his mother made a strangled sound that might have been a cough, or might have been a laugh. You should have seen it, Mum. Peeves came down and was singing this really silly song, and Professor Snape tore off after him, and by the time he came back, I finished my test. He just passed me and sent me on to dinner. I couldn't believe it. Mari is really special, and so I'm going to help her too. She wants to move on, but she needs someone to do something called a pilgrimage for her. It's sort of weird, but I've been reading all about them, and all sorts of people go on them for all sorts of reasons. After lunch, Gran and me are going to go see Father Peter down at St. Matilda's, and he's going to bless us, and then we're going to walk all the way to Our Lady of Walsingham. It'll probably take a week to get there, but it'll be worth it. I don't want to mess this up. Not after all Mari's done for me, and how long she's been stuck at Hogwarts without her husband or her babies. His mother made another one of those sounds, and he couldn't stop how they made his heart leap. Any sign that she knew him or understood him made him so happy that it hurt. I'll come back and tell you all about it if you like, if it won't make you too tired. Well, that's enough for one day, don't you think, Alice? said Gran. She was leading Frank by the hand, and she wrapped an arm around Alice, giving her a firm kiss. Neville could see his mother struggling, and he knew she didn't like to be touched that way but Gran never seemed to notice. Alice flailed her arms, protesting the unwanted embrace and knocking her wad of parchment to the floor in the struggle. She started wailing immediately, large crocodile tears running red tracks down her drawn cheeks. Gran pulled back from her enraged daughter-in-law, while Neville quickly scooped up the parchment wad. It's all right, Mom, he said soothingly, catching her hand and pressing the parchment into it. No harm done. It's right here. His mother sniffed for some time, but once the parchment was safe in her hand, she retreated to the bed, her knees tucked under her chin, and her arms wrapped protectively around her prize. Goodbye, Dad. Bye, Mom. We'll see you when we get back from the pilgrimage, he said, giving his father a brief hug under Gran's watchful eyes. His father was busy counting all the tiles in the ceiling, though, and did not seem to notice. When Neville reached the door, he heard his mother's wail. She shuffled to him, her gait lopsided, her eyes wide and desperate. What is it, Mom? he asked. We have to be going now, Alice, dear, Gran said sternly. We've had a nice visit, and we'll see you as soon as we can. Alice brushed past the other woman as though she weren't there. She snatched Neville's hand with her cold fingers and shoved the parchment into it. Then she raised her hand, and he thought for a moment she was going to pat his cheek. Their eyes locked, and maybe, just maybe for an instant, she knew who he was. But then the moment was over, and she never did cup his cheek before she shuffled away and dropped onto her bed like one exhausted. Neville's mother often gave him bits of parchment or lint. Gran had coached him to make a fuss over the trash while his mother could see, but she would throw the things away as soon as they were out of sight. It embarrassed him that these were the only marks of his mother's affection that he had to his name, but they were hers, and they were the only things she had to give. Today he shoved the gift deep in his pocket so that his gran couldn't steal it. He knew it was a token from his lady, given to bring him good fortune on the journey ahead. Now, Neville, I know you wanted ice cream, but we've a long walk ahead of us, and it being so hot out, I don't need you getting stomach cramps from the cold and the sugar. Gran was saying as they stepped out of the alley and up the stairs of St. Matilda's. 
It's fine, Gran, really, Neville protested as he tried to settle his stomach from the side-along apparition. They hadn't officially set out on their journey, and he hadn't thought it worth fighting with Gran over walking yet. I'm glad to know that you see reason about some things, at least. The church was tidy and snug, unassuming as it sat overshadowed by taller and newer buildings. But upon closer inspection, there were many fine details that spoke to St. Matilda's dignity. The stone was well worn by the feet of worshippers and seekers. The finely carved statues in all of the niches had faces marked with personality. The main door was guarded by a green copper door knocker shaped like a half-breed monster with an enormous ring hanging from its mouth. The face of the metal creature hypnotized Neville, and though Gran was still complaining about the journey ahead, he heard her voice dimly, as so many flies. When he grasped the ring to pull open the door, a warm jolt of energy went up his arm, and for a moment he swore he was wearing a gauntlet. But then he blinked, and it was just his unadorned hand holding onto the tarnished metal in the hot summer afternoon. Come now, Neville. Open it, will you? Or do you need help? Gran asked. No, I've got it. The door swung open easily for a thing so large, and the church was dim and cool inside. The windows were all cracked open, letting in a pleasant cross breeze that set the flames of the candles near the painted statues lining the walls dancing. Neville let his head fall back, following the arches up to the deep blue ceiling. It was decorated with gold stars, and he wondered fancifully if they ever moved during service. His gran was still talking in a softer voice, but he did not have the capacity to listen. A great feeling of purpose had settled onto his shoulders, and he shifted nervously under the weight as he contemplated the emblematic stars. The sound of footsteps echoed in the cavernous space, and an owlish priest, younger than Neville had expected, joined them at the back of the church. "'Good afternoon, Mrs. Longbottom, I presume?' the priest said when he reached them. "'I am, and Father Peter, was it?' Gran replied, puffing herself up with an authoritative accent, regardless of the fact that she barely reached the man's shoulder. "'That's right, and this must be Mr. Longbottom. I'm so glad to meet you.' "'Thanks for doing this. It must seem strange,' Neville said, wishing that his voice had not chosen this moment to crack. Father Peter was polite enough not to notice. "'Strange? Not at all. I've led groups up that way myself more than once. It's a fair distance.' but I think you'll find it worth the effort. Something about the priest's manner set Neville at ease, and he found himself beginning to return the man's smile when Gran seized the conversation. I'm sure that is unusual for our kind, Gran sniffed. We're not even Catholic. There's good and bad in all of us, Father Peter said, his eyes twinkling. Why don't you come over to Mary's altar, and I'll give you the blessing there. I'm sure you're raring to go, and there's a lovely campsite in Stratford if we get you on your way soon. Gran muttered under her breath, and Neville tried not to listen too closely, although he did hear something about superstition and nonsense. In spite of her carping, the stillness of the church seeped into Neville's bones, and he could feel himself relax more completely than he did anywhere. Please kneel, said Father Peter when he'd taken the place behind the little rail that separated the altars from the rest of the church. Neville did as he was asked, wishing that Gran would stop pacing behind him. The priest raised his hand over the boy's head and began to read in quick, sure Latin from a little book, In nomine Patre e Filiae e Spiritus Sancti. The cool of the stones and the drone of the Latin washed over Neville. He let his eyes drift up to the statue before him. Mary, he knew, was Christ's mother, and she sat here, a young woman, enthroned with a healthy baby boy on her knee. She was painted red and blue, and he liked the soft smile that was on her face. He felt as though she wished him well, and all the stories that his gran used to tell him when he was small 
of wizard knights and their adventures over land and fen came back to him under his eyes. Near the end of the blessing, Father Peter hung a plain linen bag around Neville's neck and handed the boy a sturdy wooden staff. He held out another to Gran, but she pretended not to notice, and Neville blushed at her rudeness. The priest did not seem to mind, though. He simply set aside the rejected offering and completed the prayers. That's all? Neville asked, awkwardly copying the sign of the cross when Father Peter finished speaking. That's all. God go with you, the priest replied. Thank you, Father Peter. Neville leaned on the staff as he pushed himself up from the kneeler, and the smooth wood was sure and sturdy in his hand. Draw me a line when you get back if you have the time. I'd love to know how things go with you. I will. The novel experience of being taken seriously by an adult gave a spring to Neville's step and emboldened him to dip his fingers into the font at the back of the church and cross himself once more. He was on his way now, and he had a confidence in his mission that bewildered him with its firmness. I had no idea you were such a papist, Neville, Gran said, deflating with one sentence what had taken the last half hour to build. What are they teaching you at that school? You know what they're teaching me, Gran, he replied wearily. She sniffed as though she scented something foul. Well, we'd best be getting on with it. I don't suppose we could apparate to the edge of the city, could we? No, Gran, Neville said, doing his best to sound like a confident young man rather than a whiny boy. I'm sorry, but we have to start now. She heaved a sigh. I thought as much. Let's go, then. The pace she set would have had him running to keep up with her a year ago, but he'd grown during the last term at school, and his longer legs had no trouble. The staff made its own music as it tapped against the sidewalks, and while some muggles paused to giggle at the lanky boy and his grandmother, Neville found he did not mind their stares in the least. No, he was like St. Mungo now, on his way to the Holy Land of Fulfilled Dreams.'